following show first aired on KZYX, listener-powered community radio for Mendocino County and beyond in June of 2023. You are listening to KZYX Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. We also stream live at kzyx.org. This is Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, a listener-supported community radio. We are going to take a deep dive into the public process. We're going to go to the June 6th Jackson Advisory Group meeting in order to see what it takes to make your opinion known to a state agency. For a little background, the Jackson Advisory Group is the advisory board tasked to advise CAL FIRE on the workings of Jackson Demonstration State Forest at 80 square miles, California's largest state forest. Jackson was acquired by the state from Casper Lumber Company in 1947 for the astronomical sum of $1.5 million. It was set up as the first demonstration forest, demonstrating what at the time would be considered economically sustainable forestry. In other words, the ability to keep logging and still pay taxes on the property, which most of the large landholders of the time had not been able to do. When the forest was chartered in 1949, there were nearly 10 square miles of old growth redwoods, as well as 30 square miles of second growth. In other words, forests that had only been logged once, and much of it recovered 60 to 90 years. From 1949 until the 70s, Jackson almost entirely logged old growth, but that was pretty much the norm at the time. Certainly it is clear that by 1970, the 10 square miles of old growth had been reduced to 459 acres three quarters of a square mile. By then, the idea of demonstration had been expanded to look at more modernized and less destructive ways of logging. But still, clear cuts and group selections were considered the most practical way to get timber to the mill. And at that point, they were removing about 35 to 40 million board feet a year from the forest. Switching back and forth between Redwood and Doug Fir, depending on market preferences of the time. By the 90s, a strong protest movement had built up, led by Vince Taylor. Vince and the Campaign to Restore Jackson Forest worked diligently from the mid-90s up until 2011, when Vince quit. In a letter to the Board of Forestry, he said, quote, If I were to remain a member of the advisory group, I would be tacitly accepting the actions of the board. To do so would betray the thousands of people who have relied on me to represent their desire for meaningful reform of JDSF management. In an eight-page letter, Taylor detailed the ways in which the board had failed to act responsibly. All of the changes made to the recommendations by the board were to move forest management of JDSF back towards business as usual, away from the balanced vision put forth by the Jackson Advisory Group. In doing so, said Taylor, you threw away the golden opportunity to end the conflict, legal challenges, and acrimony that have surrounded JDSF for 15 years. In a separate letter to Cal Fire, Taylor explicitly excused Cal Fire from any responsibility for his resignation. Quote, I wish to stress that my resignation in no way reflects on the behavior of Cal Fire with respect to the advisory group. Your senior staff were exemplary in their attitude, responsiveness, and personal courtesy. That is from the original Campaign to Restore Jackson's website, jacksonforest.com. The campaign successfully stopped logging in Jackson for eight and a half years with a string of lawsuits claiming, among other things, that the forest had been operating on an outdated management plan 
and that the forest inventory had been creatively accounted for, showing a continual increase in, in the standing board feet that was on the property. While this argument did not win the day, it was never refuted in court. By 2009, operations had resumed, but on a very small scale at the time. A body known as the Jackson Advisory Group had been assembled to hash out the specifics of what would be considered, of what would be integrated into the 2016 management plan, which is what the forest is operating under at the present. This group actually worked for over two years, hired a professional mediator, and came out with a 124-page document, which offered recommendations which had been agreed to by all parties, including owners of licensed timber operators, Vince Taylor, and other environmentalists such as Linda Perkins and Bill Heil. When in 2011, the California Board of Forestry rejected the civil cultural recommendations, Vince stood up to declaim the betrayal of all of the time that had been put in by himself and others such as Mike Anderson, the owner of Anderson Logging. In the ensuing years, Jackson continued to log, but mostly removing 15 million board feet a year approximately. However, a lack of transparency and what many saw as a, a lack of will to hold the licensed timber operators accountable for things such as giant slash piles, which would sit around for years, led to the modern movement to save Jackson, a movement which prevented the approval of three controversial timber harvest plans, the development of three more and the logging of Casper 500. Various tribes got involved led by Priscilla and Michael Hunter with Polly Gervin of the Coyote Valley Band of Pomo. Many statewide environmental organizations threw their weight behind the movement. CAL FIRE's responses have been many and varied, but to my eyes, some of them have been very positive. With the leadership of Kevin Conway, the state demonstration forest manager, and now Luke Kendall, the Mendocino unit chief, Opportunities for public engagement have become more robust. What this will mean in the future, we have yet to see. But the primary avenue is still the Jackson Advisory Group meetings. And for anybody who has tried to take part in any input into the workings of government, we all know it is a tedious job. Going to school board meetings, it's long and slow. Water board meetings, exactly the same. The Jackson Advisory Group meetings are no different. But... They are what we have, and anybody who would like to affect the policy behind the management of California's largest state forest needs to take part or be prepared to find a way to litigate their solution. Direct action, as people say, is always an option, but it's not an option for everybody, and it has great consequences. That won't be part of our show today. So welcome to the June 6th JAG meeting. And we're going to start off hearing from Dr. Kim Rodriguez, who was on the Board of Forestry briefly years ago, is a forest geneticist and a trained facilitator and mediator. She was brought in by the state through the recommendations of UC Extension to help make the meetings more workable and feel more fair to all involved. At this point, I also think it's good to acknowledge that I myself am not an impartial observer. I co-founded the Mendocino Trail Stewards and the Coalition to Save Jackson in its modern incarnation. But I will also do my best to let the meeting and the people in it speak for themselves and let you make the judgments you feel are important. To set the stage, imagine yourself walking into the conference room at the Presbyterian Church in Fort Bragg on Sanderson Street. By the time the meeting is supposed to start at 9 o'clock, all seats are full. CAL FIRE has provided over 20 pages of information as background for 
the proceeding. The agenda is organized, but already to me looks unworkable with over 20 items. Be addressed in an eight-hour day, which also includes a field trip. As the meeting begins, people are still sitting down. Here is Dr. Rodriguez. Um, I think we made some great progress at the last meeting. We have a long ways to go. I want us to celebrate every little success and every small agreement. Um, when we reach shared understanding and agreement, even in small ways, we can build new things that we never thought were possible. And that's the power of collaboration, is I believe every single one of us in the room has something worthwhile to share about the fate of the future of Jackson Forest. Our agreements for today, as we get ready, are seek understanding. We're not going to ever move out of some of the conflicts we're in if we don't try to seek understanding from each other. And we need to treat people from where The entire they first part of the day is devoted to business and introductions and meeting protocol, but even this takes a lot of time. So those are our purposes. There's a lot more that are going to merge, I think, and we're going to capture those through his faulty handwriting and Michelle's um, awesome notes that are going to be given there. So with that, I think we can go to George and the business, unless there's any immediate questions. Small timber holder and JAG chair George Hollister takes the mic. All right, George. Okay, thank you. Thank you for everybody that's here. Uh, we have most of the JAG members here, not everybody, but it's good to see everybody here. Uh, as George Hollister launches into the morning business, the room continues to be very noisy. He outlines a Bagley Keen Open Meetings Act training that they had and acknowledges that they really do have to do better, that even such a thing as three JAG members in a car together is a violation. It really revealed that we need to really tighten things up to JAG does. Uh, we have done things and had actions on this JAG that, are not, that don't comply with the open meeting apparent. Other business uh, items, including approving the minutes from the last meeting, an update on tribal engagement, an update on Northern Spotted Owls Recreation User Survey, budget update, pulling the JAG on Saturday morning dates, something that's happened in the past and we still are on a Tuesday. All take up precious time. The meeting's only a half hour underway and we're already behind schedule. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I would not think, oh, yeah, we have to expose that. So we went to a class. We were all together. Well, that needs to be uh, disclosed. And that kind of... It is past 9.40 a.m., and a glance at the agenda shows that the public comment period is at 12.15, only 15 minutes allotted. The facilitator, Dr. Rodriguez, takes the stand and discusses communications protocol. But after that, the Bagley-Keen discussion continues with George Hollister and Kevin Conway, the State Forest Program Manager, having a back and forth. We did better this time. I think we got the agenda out a little sooner. Um, the, um, we still have to get all the supportive materials out in a way that people can come fully. I also sent out a letter to the JAG people uh, a few months ago that it wasn't a letter, it was an editorial I had in the Farm Bureau newspaper. Uh, that is also a potential problem. And because uh, it opens up communication between JAG people, if you're sitting there online discussing, I mean, you know, having emails going back and forth, uh, 
yeah, that's a that's a serial meeting. That's in conflict with the open meeting law. So anyway, I just wanted to cover that because it's really uh, it's going to require that we get have more meetings because one of the things is we have two meetings a year. If we take something and say, well, we need to agenda as the next meeting, we're talking about six months down the road. And yeah. Kevin. I just wanted, to, if I could just kind of tag on to that just slightly, and I think, you know, part of, uh, you know, some of the cautionary uh, or places of weakness that George identified, a lot of that comes because of how we structure these meetings and how much interaction there is between the, the JAG, the decision-making body, and the public. You know, not only are we having free will and conversation as part of every single agenda item, but, you know, that travel time. Uh, and following this, we have various JAG members discussing items of business, all very important, but again, taking some of those precious moments away from the discussions that people really want to engage in, which are that of silviculture and tribal engagement, and most importantly, the projected 2024 management plan update. I thought it was right there. Is that not it? Sorry. Uh, feels like you know, even a webinar. We can do a webinar in the months between the meetings. We can target weekend tours. December second. All right. So this will come back, and we will make it official. But awesome notes that are going to be given there. So with that, I think we can go to George and the business, unless there's any immediate questions. To, you know, generate revenue in 24 and 25. To cover our costs or whole entry or than it is to come to one of these meetings. So, to my fellow JAG members, a proposal to capture that is that recognizing that there may be ongoing budgets that the 24 25 budget are being made. So, anything, any decisions that are being made, you know, right now. Finally, with people around the room looking antsy more than an hour into the meeting, we arrive at the meat of the matter. Dr. Rodriguez had envisioned us breaking up into small groups as a workshop, but it didn't seem like this would happen because the time was already tight. Here we're going to go to State Forest Program Manager Kevin Conway discussing CAL FIRE's new vision for the management of Jackson. The new vision to the JAGs, right, it was developed by CAL FIRE, uh, some of our tribal partners in Sacramento, the Natural Resources Agency, uh, but there wasn't a lot of input from the JAG as that new vision was being developed, uh, and it was brought to you last August. So there was a request from the JAG to you know really kind of dig in and have some open discussion on what's included in that new vision. And then to Joanna's point earlier, you know now that we have this new vision, you know what do you do with it, and how does that interact with the current management plan uh, and the management plan review process that might be be launching into and so uh, that's the purpose for it being on the agenda here today so I, I'm going to set the stage by just giving kind of a, a broad overview of what's in the new vision and we have Len and Brandon that are going to drive drive into some of the tribal engagement that's going on and then Chris now can talk a little bit about how they interacted with our staff through the subcommittee you committed last uh, meeting to look at a project and to actually say how do we operationalize
operationalize this. You know, we know how we present information to you to weigh it against the goals and objectives of the management plan. You know, how do we now incorporate these new vision documents uh, and goals so that you can prove a project and be comfortable that it's in compliance with it or that you at least have some agreement amongst the JAG of, of what that looks like. So, you know, first off, just why are we going through a uh, early review? And a lot of this comes from some of the public input that we've gotten over the last few years. Uh, and in addition to that, some of the overarching public policies that have been enacted since the last adoption of the management plan in 2016. You know, so the natural working lands policy, some of the uh, executive orders and administrative policy on, on tribal engagement. Uh, and we all think that Jackson is a very special place and we all want to make sure that it's managed well going into the future. And so let's push forward. just want to talk a little bit about how the new vision was created. And a lot of that did come from community engagement, from the administrative policy and executive orders that I had spoke about. And just, you know, changing social needs, right? There's more need for for recreation and there's more anxiety from the public about fire hazard and carbon issues and how they, the forest impact those. And then how do we really meet these challenges of opening up our forest to uh, use of our, our local Native American tribes? Uh, and so, you know, these are some of the fundamental, you know, questions that are trying to be answered and worked into this this new vision. And so the so first part of it is, is really accelerating the, the rest that we're doing. And so how do we look within our timber harvest plans and without of our timber harvest plans to do some of this restoration work that we know needs to happen and you know can we prioritize that and move through it in such a way that we're providing the biggest impact and best benefit to the resource as we move forward and so we talked a little bit about some of the additional funds that we got that are helping us uh, meet that at least in the immediate term and so the, the forest restoration that we have going on we've made some immediate changes to some of the existing timber harvest plans to try to address uh, carbon sequestrations selecting trees that we are going to try to make into the best carbon performers on the forest is uh, one of the, the ways that we did this and you're you're looking at a, a post-harvest example in the red tail THP with that orange marked tree one that we've uh, agreed to permanently protect into the future and as we go in and do timber harvest plants we're slowly you know thinning away reducing the density around it letting that tree have nice big full canopy and really put on high levels of carbon sequestration in the, the current environment, but also storing all the carbon that it's sequestered in the past. We're looking at our large woody debris projects and uh, how to expand upon that. Um, and we're going to be looking at that this afternoon as part of the, the Camp One timber harvest plan. We've got our, our barred owl management that's that's going on. You know, now that we've created all this habitat for the northern spotted owl, how are we going to get the northern spotted owl to come back onto the forest and actually use that? Uh, we're accelerating some of our, our road abandonment that we have planned. And then uh, Chief Kendall and his team has been a, doing a great job providing resources to put prescribed fire back on the ground. And you know the fuel break network that we're looking to develop and we you know approved the first project against uh, last meeting as part of you know that commitment to provide the infrastructure on the forest so that we can you know use prescribed fire safely uh, and at the scale that it needs to be. So we expanded the JAG and you know that we've already done so we've got Chair Franklin has joined and we've got Dr. Nelson has joined us so we've uh, not only expanded you know the number of people on the JAG and the input that we get but some of the expertise 
expertise that we have to really meet this new vision. So, you know, trying to provide ourselves access to the experts that can help us, you know, move this along. We've really been spending a lot of time on our, our tribal relations, and I'm not going to talk much about it here because we're going to dive into it here in uh, just a moment. Uh, and then, you know, really just these uh, strategic investments that we've got and what we've been able to do with it. So we're working on setting the up new vision, which was released last really August by the California Department Department of Natural Resources is actually an admirable document, especially in respect to involving tribal stakeholders. However, many people feel like it's lacking, especially in dealing with the silvicultural issues that created the current protest movement. And along those lines, here we go to discussion of the development of a timber sale. And a background is that a timber sale is what happens after a timber harvest plan is approved. Not all timber harvest plans are sold as a whole. Larger ones are often pieced out into a number of sales. The January 2021 Casper 500 timber sale, which really was what led to the, the current environment where change is possible, was stopped by direct action and eventually allowed to expire last month. CAL FIRE is committed to trying to develop a sale within the footprint of this timber harvest plan, and that is at issue right now. Timber sale development process, and this is one of the ways that we are proposing that we meet this new vision. And so it really talks about all the ways that we are interacting with the different stakeholders and getting public input, tribal input on projects as they develop through the system. And so I think this should capture what the JAG has asked of us. Do I have five minutes to go through this? I think this is a pretty important part or should I? Go quickly because okay. it'll inform yep. the small group discussion yeah. for sure. Yeah, I think so. So, you know, I mean, it starts with our, our normal process that we've had and at the beginning of the year. We try to bring forward the, <coughs> the forecasted areas that we want to work. We get input from the JAG on which areas to prioritize. Uh, you know, what's being added to this is our tribal advisory council is also you know, a part of that process now. So not just the JAG, but we've got getting getting input and early discussions with the tribes on areas that we're going to work in the coming year and beyond. You know, then we once we prioritize those, we're bringing those to the to the JAG for review. And prior to doing that, we're sending out early notification letters and engaging our, our tribal partners, you know, through that notification and through our tribal advisory council on what those projects are to get that really early shaping of them uh, in the planning process. We talked a little bit about the JAG process for approving those is now going to go to a two meeting format. So we'll bring you out to the ground. We'll describe the project then we'll take feedback and questions and try to make sure we're answering answering those between meetings for you. Uh, and then, you know, we're going to develop the, the timber harvest plan and go through the public process there and then come back to the public to do a pre-timber sale public tour. That was something the JAG asked us to do. And part of that was recognizing the length of our planning cycles, right? Between that initial JAG meeting and us going out to timber sale, could be 18 months, could be 24 months. There's a, there's a long lag time there. So we're not getting the pulse of the public, I guess, right at the at the moment and we think there's things that we can work in as far as recreation fire reduction it's not going to be the silviculture because that's already going to be defined in the timber harvesting plan but there's lots of other opportunities for additional input at that point in time and then we've talked about doing the post-operational tours so you know the jag has said they want to get back out and see how do we do like how do we perform basically obviously the, the development discussed. of the timber and harvest the plan and then of a timber sale is a long complicated process and cal fire is encouraging the public to have input, though it does not appear that that input extends to silviculture. 
this point, the meeting pivots to the important issues of tribal engagement. Present are former Kashiapomo tribal chairman, Reno Franklin, who is also a JAG member, as well as two members of the Cato Rancheria. But first, we're going to hear from Lynn Nielsen, Cal Fire's tribal liaison. Assembly Bill 52 established this government-to-government process for uh, tribes to have a voice and engagement with leaders from nation to nation or government to government level. And so for here on this forest, uh, we have a government to government process going on currently with the Caribbean, the Pomo Indians, and that government An important distinction here nation, must be made that the Coyote Valley, Valley Band is engaged in government to government consultations, and they do not want to engage with the Jackson Advisory Group or the newly formed. Tribal Advisory Council because they consider that advisory is a position that is not actually effective and is actually a possible waste of time. For the rest of the public, though, the government-to-government consultations are opaque. We can't and don't know what's going on there except what's reported by the tribes as CAL FIRE is signed to confidentiality. And this is the same with discussion of sacred sites and cultural resources. These are confidential and, for obvious reasons, are not shared with the public. Over the next few minutes, we'll excerpt statements from Reno Franklin and others. And the nation to nation is the tribal chairman or tribal council reaching out to the governor. So that letter came through the subcommittee and it needs to come through the uh, leadership of the council. So slightly, that's the formal process that's required for those kinds of letters. So we would like to ask for a letter from the council or from the uh, chairman, whoever that, I don't think the chairman's been named yet. So is this for Coyote Valley? Is this for Coyote Valley? So I, I saw that, I kind of was questioning too the same thing is where it's coming from. But they're naming their TIPO as a part of that consultation. So I would think that the TIPO would be the duly authorized tribal government representative. Seems that they have to be resolution of we, we just need to make sure that has occurred in the past there's been issues. So we just need to verify that to make sure that we're at that government to government level formal level to make sure and then that's fine. But we can engage, which the unit has engaged with the tribes, several tribes here locally, which is really the preferred process because that's where the activities and actions happen on the ground. We had something like this. We had what we called the ACORN project, which they successfully burned three months ago, two months ago, something like that, where we went out beforehand with our subcommittee group originally and said, we identified an area that the force staff had said, this looks like a place with mature tanno that could really use some underburning. With that underburning, what would be the objective? Well, the primary objective, which we asked tribal members, what would you like from this? And their answer was, we would like a better acorn crop that we could then collect acorns from. Okay, how can we make that happen? Well, we can make that happen by burning the brush and the understory underneath this, so then there's a better acorn harvest in the future for this next season, this coming season. So we listened, and then we acted, and we burnt that area. It was three acres, three to five acres ish of burns, completed that burn, and now looking forward to this next acorn um, harvest coming on, which looks to be good looking at the acorns this year. Not only will it be good for the amount of acorns this year across the state, but now that the undergrowth has been burned, the weevil population for acorns have, have been hopefully destroyed, right? So then when the acorns do land on the ground, they're not, in, they're not 
uh, ingested by the weevils and infected by the weevils and the reuse of that. We do need, as a CAL FIRE entity also, we do want to meet um, the vision ass assessment here and the, that vision uh, also incorporates the public vision of what the force is used for as well as uh, groups like researchers as well as groups like the recreational group for you know biking and hiking and we have an interchange between a few tribal members and kim rodriguez and lynn niels calfa I'm not going to share anything that anybody has told me that's outside of that tribe because I know each tribe is different, right? And, and that information is sacred, right? I'm not going to share that with anybody else. And just the fact that I got brought into that circle and I'm sharing with that is, is huge. So um, we're also, even in that tribal advisory council, we're bringing you know, different tribes in. We're also knowing that certain tribes have certain things, certain heritage things that they want to protect that's sacred. Where's that written down? Uh, it's not yet. That's yeah. in the See, tribe. And that's what, so you just described how to protect it. So can I can I after that just real quick and hold your hand this So if you look at this org chart that hand out the tribal advisory council, what we want to do, what the Jack isn't part of that. But the suggestion is that the tribal advisory council needs Meanwhile, to in the middle of this very important discussion, the clock is ticking. Anybody at the meeting trying to keep track of the agenda realizes that the public comment section is probably not going to happen. In fact, the in-person meeting at this point is halfway done, and primarily what's being discussed is just the groundwork to make things happen. You are listening to the Ecology Hour. We are taking a deep dive into the public process that the state of California uses for the management of Jackson Demonstration State Forest. This whole hour is a journey through a Jackson Advisory Group meeting. What benefits anybody but the, the, the process and the planning and the way we go about things with the forest is not working. And one of the reasons is, is that you have taken, not you, I take that back. The indigenous people have been taken out of the whole process. You know what I mean? So we, 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 were, we were stewards of the land for thousands and thousands of years. And it took us probably a hundred years to get it to the optimals, like you said. Every year we had, we not only had the bumper crop of acorns, hazelnut, it was the, it was, you know, it was like the highest quality of food every year. And that was because of forest management. And it goes all, all through, like, the, you know, it goes all the way into the ocean, you know, there was, you know, optimal, there was the, the best quality abalone, surface, seaweed, all of that is connected to the way we walk the earth. You know what I mean? So I think everybody needs to, and I'm sure there's people here that are non-native that walk that way too. You know what I mean? And we need to we need to work together on that. You know, fire is gonna be a big thing. Fire is like the thing that we need to bring back for sure. But we also need co-management on some of these different projects as far as like uh, shady fuel breaks, um, forest um, restoration, stream restoration. Um, all these practices have to come back into what we're doing today to to bring it back to, I'm sure we all want the same thing, but it's gonna be hard for us to agree upon how to go about getting to that point. You know, and, and, and if, we, if we think about seven generations down the road, how we want this to work out, we can't go wrong. You know, when, when you do things, if you do it for the better of our children, I see a couple of young people here. If we have those people in our vision, 
we can't go wrong. You know what I mean? If we, if we think about them and if we educate them, and as we educate our kids, when when we're all elders, some of us may be there almost already, we have those kind of people taking care of us. That's the key. And we have those kind of people taking care of the forest and, and the land. And that's that's just how I see things. And I'm, 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 I'm really encouraged by Kendall and Brandon because that's, you know, Brandon is from where I, I grew up. Kendall, he's, he's from over in the valley. And so, you know, they really have a good connection on, and I would love to work with these guys, and I, I hope we do, and, and all the other, you know, people with the, you know, Jackson State Forest and, and all of it, you know? So, hope. Sure. hope. So, can I do that with the dad and then take a break? And is that okay? Yeah, I got a question though. Um, what is the what is the post plan? What, what is the, the aftermath plan for uh, these, these, I guess we'll call them projects or sites? Is there going to be tribal input on the after um, as far as like the management of that? So say if we go through uh, Huckleberry, if we want to save some Huckleberries or we want to save Hazelnut or if we find whatever, which is a food source for people and, you know, habitat, Appropriately, someone opened up the window and the Ravens had their say in this meeting as well. Now we're going to hear briefly from Mendocino Unit Chief Luke Kendall. Once we get that thing up, we will be able to identify. So we realize that it's a big commitment for everybody, right? Uh, for the local tribes, it is uh, a big commitment to take time out of the day. Uh, they don't have staff that can go to these. So we're working on really trying to figure out what's the best avenue for this. During that first meeting, we had two groups or two tribes come to a meeting. We had Sherwood and and we kind of talked about that first meeting was really just trying to get an understanding of how we we're going to move this thing down the track and what would be important. And so the next group or the next meeting that we have uh, will be this month on the 15th. And uh, the, the two tribes that came there were committed to monthly meetings. Um, and then just to get this thing moving and a good vision and trying to figure out ways that we can gain more participation with the understanding there's a lack of time. We were committed from Cal Fire to assure that we're not wasting these folks' time. Um, so we want to be organized and we want to bring them things that are important to them and help us move the forest in a direction that is in line with what Chair Franklin As Mr. Kendall says, there is a lack of time. We are going to move to Kevin Conway's introduction of the 2024 management plan revision. But we're going to get back on track. How are we going to do that? We're going to have Kevin quickly brief us, right, on the roles and responsibilities and the management plan scope of work, because that's where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be there at 11, but we're going to need to talk about something now after he says this, sets the stage. Okay, Cliff Notes version here. So I, I did give you a, you know, what's kind of an org chart of 
how the state forests operate. And I think the important piece to note is that Chief Kendall is kind of the center of this universe. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so it's like a day. <laughs> so there, but there's a series of, of uh, solid lines and dash lines, right? The dash lines are like advisory in nature. Again, we have many explanations, and it's all necessary for understanding. But the clock is still ticking. Yeah, let's, let's maybe just kind of can we spend money or some time walking through the uh, the highlights? So, uh, you know, it starts with just uh, what we're doing. It, it then identifies, you know, our current policies that are in place. So the the management plan, our you know regulations, you know, our statutes, our board policies, uh, the the option A for sustainable forest management. Uh, the new vision document. Uh, it also identifies some important statewide goals that we need to make sure that we're addressing within the management plan. So that's this uh, statements of administrative policy, executive orders, the national working working lands, uh, climate smart strategy, the 30 by 30 biodiversity goals, and the uh, forest and wildfire resilience action plan. So those are some of the, the overarching policies that this administration has set forth to all of his agencies and land owners that we need to make sure that we're it is important uh, to note that this discussion the, uh, is not about what would be so, in the plan itself, but about the management plan revision uh, and the process it would go through. To put it briefly, the management plan's writing would be contracted out. The JAG would be involved in finding the contractor, and once the revision was underway, there would be public comment. However, and this is very disturbing to many involved, the, two, the 2005 Environmental Impact Report, a 900-page document that was created when our understanding of climate change was far, far less than it is now. Now, is intended by the Board of Forestry to be the underlying document behind the 2024 management plan. After lengthy explanation, a number of members of the public, including myself, noting that there was not going to be time for a public comment period, raised our hands. This first comment is from JAG member Amy Wynn, asking about what happened to the JAG's recommendations to the Board of Forestry in 2011. I would like to know, I would like to have a document that, that lays out the JAG recommendations from the original forest management plan, mm -hmm. where that was a long, difficult process where those original JAG members gave consensus. And I would like to know what those items were that the Board of Forestry did not include, and I would like to know why the Board did not include those items. <laughs> we can revisit them and see if now it makes sense to include them, or I would just, because I don't know what those items were, and I know that's, that's work to do, but I would like, I, I think that's essential for this next step. And the, uh, that's perfect, because uh, the very next document in the packet should be <laughs> the, the board adoption uh, in 2011 of the final JAG recommendations. Uh, and then right behind that is the summary of the advisory group recommendations. This is a, about a 115-page document. I can send you the full version. Uh, but for the purposes of this, this summarizes what was uh, what the JAG recommended, and then the board findings and adoptions tells you exactly what they did not adopt with that. So that is uh, is right here for you, and I can get you you know further details on any of those. If you and want here we have Richard Ginger, longtime forest actor 
activist, member of the board of Why Forests Matter, and also of the Redwood Forest Foundation International. I just wanted to call attention to this one paragraph here. It's on page 51, which is the second page of the handout uh, about the actions by the board. And the board uh, turned down the JAG recommendations. Rather than civil cultural constraints suggested by the JAG for each of the landscape allocations, the board will instead rely upon the board's research governance structure, Department of Forestry, Fire Protection staff, and subject matter experts to develop the silvicultural prescriptions appropriate to each of the allocations. In other words, all the JAG work and consensus was trumped. So really critical point to make sure that in the scope of work and in the work that JAG does with the consultant and the work that the public's engaged in, that that doesn't happen again. How do we do it? Yeah, right? Did you want to comment or are you, yes? No, I want to comment. I'm going to take off my reporter hat. And um, this, I think, and I, I don't expect an answer because I don't think this is something that we can answer at the moment. But for a large group of the public around here, the, there is not a lot of trust for Cal Fire's forestry arm. And a lot of it has to do with this, with abandoning the silvicultural pres prescriptions. But a lot of it has to do with just looking, you know, people who live close to Jackson and seeing what was left after individual harvest plans. And so what you're, what I see in this development of the, the management plan is an openness to listening to us, but that also involves a ton of volunteer time on our part. And it's a problem that I think you all have to figure out how to deal with is how to win back people's trust. A couple more comments. It seems to me that this whole management plan is based upon the current way that uh, Jackson is being managed. That is, the, the number one goal is timber harvest commercially done through the process and sold to uh, a sawmill who brings that third party in to harvest it. And uh, it seems to me that the most important part about a new management plan is that it addressed the structural problems that were created, or which have uh, uh, not created. When it was created, it was very uh, uh, progressive uh, in 1940. Now, <laughs> it's a few years later. And it seems to me that what we need to know about demonstrations of force is not so, and uh, research doesn't have so much to do with uh, harvesting timber anymore. And uh, I would like to see something, some assurance that the management plan is going to address some of this stuff. And so it goes, that was going backwards, Bill Heil, myself, Chad Swimmer, Richard Ginger, and Amy Wynn. After the meeting, I contacted Kevin Conway and Luke Kendall to see if they wanted to respond to my question about the level of trust people have in Cal Fire's forestry arm. Luke Kendall responded. As a Mendocino unit chief, public trust and perception is a high priority to me. It's disappointing to hear that we've lost some of that public trust. You know, managing the people's forest is not something my staff or I take lightly. We do realize we are public servants and we strive very hard every day to meet the demands that are put forth. It is imperative that we build a collaborative environment where people People feel that they can speak and their voices will be heard. 
I think that will build opportunities for transparency and gives us opportunities to share the goals and objectives of the project that we're working on. It gives a foundation for education on both sides of the table to ensure that, you know, our tribal partners, our community, and the leadership on the forest are working together to ensure that we are meeting the needs of everyone when it comes to the projects that we're developing. Over the last year, we've seen improvement when it comes to research and recreation. We also have a new vision, which will help with our sustainable forest management. I think this is all exciting and I think that it will set us up for future challenges when it comes to uh, climate change and resiliency to fire. Over the last six months we've worked really hard on putting fire back onto the landscape throughout JDSF. We've worked with our tribal partners to conduct cultural burns to ensure that their needs are being met. We've worked with the recreationalists on the state forest to improve garbage cleanup. We've improved forest trails. We've also improved campsites and the day use areas. All these things build the trust that we are committed to meet the needs of the community. Cal Fire's Mendocino Unit Chief, Luke Kendall. You are listening to the Ecology Hour. I'm Chad Swimmer, your host. Due to time constraints, we are not going to go on the afternoon tour, looking at the post-operation situation in the Red Tail Timber Harvest Plan and then the proposed Camp 1 THP on the footprint of the withdrawn Boundary Creek, Boundary Creek THP on the South Fork of the Noya River. We're now going to hear from two environmental activists who are at the meeting, Robin Leller of the Inland Mendocino County Sierra Club and Linda Perkins. First, Robin Leller. Oh, man, the JAG meeting was a whole sea change from the one I went to a year ago when we were arguing about every time people came up with suggestions about healthy forest and what should be done, the, the people in charge would say, well, that's not our mandate. You know, presumably the mandate is sustained economic yield for the state of California to log big trees. And here's Robin talking about the field tour. They were trying to do a cell job on shaded fuel breaks. And they were pushing it as, well, we really have to do this. It's a fire danger. And we're really close to a campsite where people stay. This is so dangerous. And the JAG board members were like, well, yeah, we see the need to do it. But what we saw was that the harvesting they just did with was so egregious and such a fire danger that everything they're doing there is creating more fire danger than they're going to mitigate with the shaded fuel break. Since 1940s, the mandate has been sustainable economic development. And every time people suggest things that are healthy, the response from Cal Fire is... Well, that's not our mandate. The other problem that has to be addressed is that CAL FIRE designs the timber harvest plans, and then they pass them. They don't submit it to an oversight like the Department of Forestry to say, yeah, this is a healthy plan. The mandate has to change. It's, you know, 80 years old, and, um, and that's the biggest obstacle right now. I saw 
uh, slash piles that were huge and everywhere. They had not cleaned up after themselves. They come. They say the company that gets the contract to do this says, "Oh, we'll come back later and get that." Right? But it leaves a great mess, and they don't always come back either. Um, there was so much wastage of valuable wood. There were uh, there was a lifetime logger on board there who was just appalled. He he couldn't stop shaking and. Um, that, that was really impressive. He says, I've been in these woods. I know there's responsible people. This is probably the worst I have ever seen. And now we'll hear from Linda Perkins, who was on the JAG, who made the recommendations in 2011. A lot went on in that meeting. Cal Fire, as your listeners may know, hired a facilitator uh, to handle the JAG meetings, to facilitate the JAG meetings. That's the Jackson Advisory Group meetings. Um and her, this is only her second meeting. The first meeting, it really seemed as though Cal Fire, uh, through with her help, was trying to be much more open and transparent and promising uh, lots of changes. Uh, we had put a lot of effort, the Jackson Coalition, the environmentalists, the, a lot of Native people had put a lot of effort into trying to persuade Cal Fire that they needed to manage their forests better. So the first meeting went really well. I think they took care of a lot of procedural things, like having the meeting indoors so that people could be comfortable and hear each other, uh, get get materials out sooner so people would have time to read what was on the agenda, the materials related to that. Uh, so I think they handled a lot of those things very well and made us feel hopeful. But in the second meeting, they were really dealing with some substantive issues uh, that I think were, uh, they were really dodging the um, implications of having to do better management. Uh, and I think they were doing a lot of greenwashing. I have to say I was very disappointed. There were a lot of different subjects that uh, that I felt sort of the same way about that they handled in a similar fashion. Uh, probably the most important is the, or one of the most important is that CAL FIRE is going to be redoing their management plan a year early. And this is in response to to our efforts to ask them to, to look at the management plan again. Uh, but they are not going to do any environmental review connected with the management plan. In other words, they're not going to do an environmental impact report. They're going to hire a consultant who will uh, develop the management plan. Uh, there will be public meetings and people will have a voice, but without an environmental impact report, uh, I think those voices can be pretty easily uh, ignored. Mm-hmm. I don't think they have to pay attention to what we're saying to them. And that's really disappointing. Another piece of it for me is that they dropped materials into the meeting, packets of materials that they hadn't provided beforehand that had to do with how they manage the late, the older forest areas in Jackson, the, the late cereal, old growth, and what they call older forest development areas. The 2011 Jackson Advisory Group that I was part of, Vince Taylor, uh, lots of uh, other people from foresters to environmentalists and fisheries people were involved in it. Um, and we recommended 
that older forests be developed across Jackson from east to west and north to south so that there would be a, a continuity of habitat across the forest. And we proposed a means of managing that older forest so it would have older forest characteristics. CAL FIRE has kept that allocation. In other words, if you look at the map, it's covered with older forest development area. But if you look at the way they're managing that older forest development area, it's just like they're doing their regular selection harvest, which we don't think is, uh, uh, they're doing a very good job there. And they're just subsuming all of the older forest development area data under the um, selection data, which we think is is minimal. So they're they're saying that they're going to continue the older forest development area, but they are it's just on paper. They're not doing it on the ground as far as we can tell. That was longtime forest activist Linda Perkins. And finally, we're going to get a wrap-up from the facilitator, Dr. Kim Rodriguez. I feel like um, there were a lot of things that worked well. Some of the things that worked well were the fact that you and um, another member of the public brought youth to be listeners and participants and observers of the process. And I think it's really critical to engage youth. Um, The tribal representation was the best I've ever experienced at the JAG but my experience is limited. This is only my second meeting as facilitator. Um, And I think that the meeting room is great and facilitates a really comfortable mix of people. Um, But I think there were more things that went wrong that I feel somewhat directly responsible for as the facilitator. We ran out of time and the time loss was because I really felt it was critical to hear from the tribal representatives and the tribal voices that were there. And that agenda item took more time, but I think it was absolutely essential to get that conversation out there and to actively listen. And I was not going to interrupt the tribal speakers to stay on agenda. So it took us so far behind schedule that the scheduled workshop on the scope of work that has been proposed by CAL FIRE to go out um, for bids soon uh, never really got fully addressed. And I, I think that the frustration members of the public may be feeling, and um, you asked me a question about some of the public may feel like there was a quote unquote greenwashing going on. I think it might relate to the fact that we never really got a chance to review the scope of work in advance or talk about it. And so I drove away from that meeting and I had a long drive home back to the Woodland Davis area and I feel like I failed. I feel like I failed the public. I feel like I failed Cal Fire even in some ways as the facilitator because I proposed that we move the conversation to the September meeting and allow the public and the JAG members time to review the scope of work, time to give feedback on the scope of work. And what happened was a proposal to kind of, CAL FIRE wanted it done by August 1st. So that timeline, I think, made people feel pressured. And then um, there's an interim meeting that's going to happen to discuss the scope of work. Um, So let me just stop and ask you, was that your sense, you sitting there as a member of the public? Did you feel like that was the part of the meeting that really felt like it was a greenwashing? I'm just not sure how your perception was. 
No, for me, there were a number of items that really felt um, disturbing. And one is the, the use, and you could say appropriation. I don't know if that's the best word of the term, the people's forest, which um, we coined and we would like it to be considered the people's forest because Jackson was the name of J Jacob Green Jackson, who is really the timber baron responsible for the, the destruction of the forest 160 years ago. But I think in the PowerPoint presentation that was accompanying the, the whole JAG meeting, there was a photo of a Cal Fire forester hugging a tree and it was posed pretty much exactly like the photo that somebody took of me hugging the mama tree two and a half years ago that really started the movement going. The other is, is that it didn't feel like, at least in the morning, there was any discussion of silviculture. And that was what started this whole thing. And that's what's been pushing you know, public dissatisfaction with Cal Fire since the 1990s. And that's what we were there to talk about with the tribal concerns, which are really quite important. Officially, the public cannot comment on them because they're, uh, the tribal concerns are all confidential. They, we talk about it and then it kept coming around that, you know, we can't talk about this because we're talking about sacred sites and we don't talk about sacred sites in public, which is totally, you know, that's that's legitimate. But we we wanted to hear about silviculture and, and what is the future? So first of all, wow, I was off base. See, so my perception of what went south was from a facilitator perspective and the scope of work is at the heart of silviculture, right? The scope of work is Cal Fire's vision for contracting out the updating of the management plan. So that's where all the silviculture discussions will and should happen. And that's what we never got to talk about. But I, I never even picked up on the people's forest um, re reference. I don't know where that came from or who said it. And I don't, I didn't know that you or other members of the public felt that um, appropriation happening. So if I didn't sense it and I'm a new facilitator in the process, I'm not sure others, uh, including the Cal Fire folks that you're really hoping to communicate and, and really engage in updating management approaches, I don't know that they've did either. So this is an example of how empowering I need to make the process. In a collaborative process, people like you, people that are there who feel that need to say that. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel legitimate. That picture feels inauthentic to me. It feels like it's copying a lot of what we have been telling you. Um, and that never came up. So how do I empower you and others to tell us when those things hit you like that and when they feel like that? And can we embed it? Can we embody this conversation in the September meeting? Um, my, my hope is that the September meeting will focus on the scope of work and will focus on silviculture and that you and others who felt these concerns can bring them openly into the discussion. Well, we are beyond out of time. And there was still at least three hours of content that I had to cut away to make this show. I do want to add a little bit more of my own personal opinion. I do believe that everybody who came to that JAG meeting was sincere, but that our perspectives are so vastly different. Cal Fire does say they are listening to the people. How that plays out, sustainability or greenwash, we shall see. I would like to thank everybody who took the time to attend the JAG meeting and everybody who's been working so hard to make these changes happen. 
I would also like to extend a shout out to Jenny Rorby for helping this show and helping to create space for youth internships, which have been instrumental in creating the shows for Up Disquiet Voices. And a huge thanks to Vale Gautier for their work in bringing you some darn clean editing. I don't want to ever forget Gene Parsons, the banjo dog, for the generous gift of the show music. As always, the opinions expressed are those only of myself and my guests, not of the staff or management of any station that might choose to air this show, which was created on Audacity Freeware in a small office by an even smaller team. I'm your host, Chad Swimmer, coming at you from the unceded stolen lands of Casper, California. See you next time.